0: On this podcast, we often dive into current events in Israel and Israeli history. And this week, I'm really excited because we're actually going to do that through the lens of one of my passions, American history. I specifically love learning about great American leaders, their personalities, key decisions, and how they dealt with challenges. As part of our story this week, We're unpacking President Abraham Lincoln and how he set up a team of rivals, the group of people that made up his cabinet, whose ideals and personalities completely clashed. Ultimately, Lincoln accomplished something incredible. He turned this group of former rivals and opponents into colleagues and even friends. The big question here is, how did he do that? And what does Lincoln's team of rivals have to do with the new government in Israel and all of us?
1: Yeah, Sarah, it's a good question, because here in Israel, everybody is talking about the new government. On TV and on the radio, I'm hearing questions every day, like how long will this government last? Why is Bennett prime minister, even though he only won seven seats in the last election compared to Netanyahu's 30? Is he a legitimate prime minister at all? How long until Bibi gets back in power? What can a government made up of right-wing, left-wing, centrist and Islamist parties possibly accomplish together? I mean, on one side, the fact that these astonishingly diverse parties put aside their intense ideological differences and formed a coalition is really unprecedented. But how will this kind of government work in practice? Can the government last, let alone succeed in accomplishing its goals, when the parties views on many key issues are so diametrically opposed? Hi, I'm Avi Posen.
0: And I'm Sarah Himlis. And this week we're unpacking how can a coalition this ideologically diverse stay together?
1: All right, so here's an example of that ideological diversity, starting with the Israeli-Palestinian conflict. When it comes to possible solutions to the conflict, most countries and international organizations are always talking about the two-state solution, a Jewish state side-by-side with a Palestinian state Two states for two nations, we've all heard about it. The Prime Minister Naftali Bennett opposes the two-state solution. In a 2014 New York Times op-ed, Bennett wrote, quote, for its security, Israel cannot withdraw from more territory and cannot allow for the establishment of a Palestinian state in the West Bank. If we were to pull out of the West Bank, the entire country would become a target for terrorists. End quote. On the other hand though, Naftali Bennett's new BFF, Alternate Prime Minister and Foreign Minister Yair Lapid, does support a two-state solution. In an interview with Foreign Policy magazine earlier this year, Lapid explained his approach like this, quote, We need two states because a new Palestinian leadership will rise up and come to Israel and demand, not a state, but voting rights. What will we do? Tell them no, and we're no longer a democracy. Tell them yes? and we're no longer a Jewish state, end quote. Meanwhile, Mansour Abbas, the leader of the Islamist Rahm party, is a critic of Zionism. Rahm's charter straight up refers to Zionism as a racist occupying project. Sounds like a perfect shiddich, a perfect match, no?
0: As the political gridlock and repeated elections of the past two years have shown, in Israel, there's no guarantee that any coalition will survive a full four-year term. This coalition was approved by a razor-thin majority of 60 to 59 votes in the Knesset, making it even more fragile. Yet Yair Rosenberg, a senior writer at Tablet, wrote, quote, between its numbers and its incoherent mix of internal ideologies, it's easy to see how this government could fall apart under the weight of its own contradictions. At the same time netanyahu himself managed to hold power for years with the 61 seat coalition which means it's entirely possible for his opponents to do the same end quote okay so avi here's where lincoln comes into play i think that lincoln actually created a model for how this coalition could survive and even thrive see this isn't the first time that an unlikely group of politicians with clashing ideologies came together to form a government and stayed together. In her 2005 book, Team of Rivals, The Political Genius of Abraham Lincoln, historian Doris Kearns Goodwin tells a remarkable story. See, on May 18, 1860, Lincoln won the Republican presidential nomination. To win, he had to beat New York Senator William H. Seward, Ohio Governor Salmon P. Chase, and Missouri's distinguished elder statesman Edward Bates. According to Goodwin, Seward, Chase, and Bates were each, quote, better known, better educated, and more experienced in public life than Lincoln. But here's what's pretty incredible. After he won the 1860 presidential election, Lincoln appointed these three men to his cabinet. When asked why he had made these appointments, Lincoln answered with humility, quote, We need the strongest men of the party in the cabinet. I had looked the party over and concluded that these were the very strongest men. Then I had no right to deprive the country of their services, end quote.
1: Yeah, I gotta say, that was a pretty epic move on Lincoln's part, bringing his rivals into the cabinet because they were the best ones for the job. But it's still kind of risky, no? These people didn't feel loyal to him. And even worse, they didn't even like him. They all thought they deserved the presidency over him.
0: It definitely involved a lot of risks, but it actually worked. Ultimately, Goodwin writes, quote, The powerful competitors who had originally disdained Lincoln became colleagues who helped him steer the country through its darkest days, end quote. So how did Lincoln turn his adversaries into friends and keep his cabinet of rivals intact? Goodwin attributes this feat to Lincoln's extraordinary personal and emotional qualities, which enabled him to, quote, form friendships with men who had previously opposed him, to repair injured feelings that left untended might have escalated into permanent hostility, to assume responsibility for the failures of subordinates, to share credit with ease, and to learn from mistakes, end quote. During her book tour, Goodwin was interviewed by Terry Gross on the NPR show Fresh Air. She argued that Lincoln's ability to keep this unwieldy group of politicians together ultimately preserved the entire nation, quote, as long as he could keep that coalition together by keeping these people inside the tent, he was actually keeping those strands in the country together as well, end quote. This is what she said we could all learn from Lincoln. Quote, in the hands of a truly great politician, the qualities we generally associate with decency and morality, kindness, sensitivity, compassion, honesty, and empathy can also be impressive political resources, End quote.
1: In his speech before he was sworn in as the 13th Prime Minister of the State of Israel, Avtali Bennett essentially echoed Goodwin's idea of Lincoln's team of rivals. Quote, the government that will be formed represents many of Israel's citizens from Ofra to Tel Aviv, from Rahat to Kiryat Shmona. Precisely here lies the opportunity. Our principle is we will sit together and we will forge forward on that which we agree, and there is much we agree on like transportation and education. And what separates us, we will leave to the side in his speech. Bennett also underscored that his coalition's diversity is a strength and critical Jewish value saying quote, twice in history we have lost our national home precisely because the leaders of the generation were not able to sit with one another and compromise. Each was right, yet with all their being right, they burnt the house down on top of us. I am proud of the ability to sit together with people with very different views from my own end quote. Lapid also pledged that this government will work to serve all the citizens of Israel, including those who aren't members of it, will respect those who oppose it, and do everything in its power to unite all parts of Israeli society. David Suisa, the editor-in-chief of the Jewish Journal, argued that the many parties were unified not just by their shared desire to replace Netanyahu, but also by the values of unity and decency. no matter how many ugly insults they got from the other side, no matter how difficult it became to bring together so many disparate parties, Lapid and Bennett maintained their decency while seeking unity, Suisa wrote.
0: You know, Avi, going back to the analogy of Lincoln and his team of rivals, I think your Lapid would have to be the Lincoln here. Lapid and the Yesha Tea Party had 17 seats way more than the other parties in the coalition. But Lapine made a personal sacrifice to put this government together. Even though Naftali Bennett and Yamina only got seven seats, Lapid graciously gave Bennett the prime ministership first. He also turned to Mansour Abbas and the Rom Party, who only got six seats, and promised more economic aid for Arab communities. Over and over, he compromised and worked with others in a way that others had failed to do, resulting in this new coalition, this team of rivals.
1: And the leadership is certainly trying to keep the coalition and its divergent opinions together. At the new government's first cabinet meeting, Bennett said the following to the new ministers, quote, the key to our success is trust, mutual trust. The way to increase trust is that when there are misunderstandings, Simply pick up the phone and call each other and resolve things quietly without drama. Now is the time for unity and unity is in itself a critical goal."
0: In an interview on the American Jewish Committee's People of the Pod podcast, Lahav Harkov, senior contributing editor at the Jerusalem Post, said that the only way for the coalition to survive is through a willingness to compromise. Harkov said, quote, if the extremes on either end insist on their position, then there's not going to be a coalition. So we're not going to have the Merits Party's vision of withdrawing all territory Israel entered in June 1967, and we're not going to have Naftali Bennett's vision of extending Israeli sovereignty to all of the Jewish communities in Judea and Samaria, end quote.
1: Meanwhile, author Yossi Klein Alevi, who is one of my all-time favorites, argued in a Times of Israel op-ed that the odds that the new government will last aren't great, but that quote, even if this coalition doesn't survive its term, it is already won. After years of officially inspired campaigns of hatred and divisiveness contrived to serve one man's political needs, we have the most diverse government in the country's history, he wrote. If the new coalition achieves nothing more than offering a counter vision of an Israel that strives to respect and manage its essential differences and place the country above sectarian needs, Dayenu, end quote.
0: Bennett and Lapid's calls for unity and decency come amid a rise in intense rhetoric against Israel's new government. Earlier this month, the Shin Bet, Israel's security agency, issued a statement warning that the violent and inciting discourse could potentially become lethal, adding that, quote, the responsibility for restoring a calmer atmosphere rests on all of our shoulders, end quote. Many in Israel have recalled the climate of 1994 in which public rage against Yitzhak Rabin following the Oslo Accords led to his assassination.
1: This situation is a reminder that our words have consequences. For thousands of years, Jewish wisdom has taught us that our words can be as hurtful or as helpful as our actions. Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel said, Quote, Words create the world in which we live. It's up to us to decide what that world will look like. End quote. The intense rhetoric is also a reminder that not all disagreements are alike. The Talmud teaches that a healthy disagreement involves honoring the other side, employing humility and showing respect for the other. It's about the pursuit of truth, which demands engaging with and learning from the other side. Rabbi Sachs wisely said, quote, In an argument for the sake of truth, both sides win, for each is willing to listen to the views of its opponents, End quote.
0: So what's the bottom line? Here's what I'm taking away from this. When disagreements get heated, it's time to try a different way to communicate. The current atmosphere in Israel shows that when it is hardest to lower the temperature, that's precisely when it's most important to lower the temperature. The way we speak to each other matters and how we disagree with one another matters.
1: These lessons are critical, not just for all of us, but for this new coalition's ability to function as well. To succeed as a true team of rivals, rather than a cacophonous group of diverse parties, the new government will need to speak to one another in the spirit of decency and mutual respect and find ways to work together despite their vast differences. If they can do that, they'll have a chance not just to survive as a government, but to reset the tone in Israel as well. So let's give them a chance, right?
0: Thanks for listening. This episode was hosted by me, Sarah Himmelis,
1: And me, Avi Posen. This Week Unpacked is a production of Unpacked, a division of Open Door Media. Make sure you don't miss future episodes by subscribing wherever you get your podcasts. And if you like the podcast, do us a favor, rate and review us and share it with your family and friends. We'd also love to hear what you think. Hit us up at podcast at jewishunpacked.com.
0: This episode was written by me, Sarah Himalis, and edited by John Kunza, and you, Avi Posen, and audio engineered by Rob Para. Rifki Stern is our producer, and Noah Meisman is the executive producer of This Week Unpacked. Thanks for listening. See you next week.